This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello. What's black and white and spends a lot of time on Twitter? It's a badger. We are joined by King of Badgers, Emperor of Badgers, Lord of Badgers, and all-round stoically nice guy, um, Mr. Nick Wood is joining us uh, very, very soon, as soon as he shows up. Nice to see Peter Ahern there as well. We're going to talk about all sorts of things in a show during which I am tired. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Right, now, you find me in a quite tired state, actually. And I know that it's our thing, isn't it? Being a teacher, being tired. Oh, there's Nick. Hi, Nick. Um, I know it's our thing, being tired, you know, and complaining. And I know that this is what we're kind of born to do, you know. And in between all of being tired and the complaining, um, we do some teaching as well, occasionally, when we feel like it. But I am really tired. Like, I'm really tired now it's not just um it's not just like teacher tired but i'm just really struggling to sleep we'll stay asleep or sleep properly and i just i found i needed almost to apologize on twitter for just abandoning everyone i always feel really terrible when i don't um respond to people when they've tagged me in things so and i know someone's written something so i know carolina wrote something i know toby wrote something and you know these people are super supportive of me and I always feel really terrible when I can't give my time to Twitter and I don't really feel at the moment I'm giving my time to anything very well I feel like my time is is being split um in all of these directions I'm reminded of a line I think it's from the Hobbit um in which Bilbo felt that he was um too little butter spread over too much bread um that's the other problem I've got I mean too much bread you know, when you get tired, you eat too many carbs, don't you? Too much sugar, and it all goes to pot, doesn't it? You know, once you're in your mid thirties, there's no going back. So, but I don't want this to be a wingeathon. And if anything, um, my current sort of dour beginning to the show, I'm hoping, will be mediated slightly by um, today's special guest, um, the one and only hashtag fashion teacher, um, King of Badgers, um, Mr. Nick Wood. Um, I'm really excited to hear from Nick. And in factly, in factly, see, see how tired I am? See, making up adverbs where they don't belong. Uh, in fact, I would invite Nick to call in now and we're going to get him involved straight away. I've got so much to talk to Nick about. So I'm going to invite him in right now. Um, hopefully he shall materialise. Um, Nick. Hello. Nick, hello. How the devil are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much, Alex. How are you? Well, obviously tired. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> This can't be an hour and a half of me whinging about, you know, my eyes that feel like they're full of sand. Um, what I wanted to do, hopefully, is to get a real sense of, of how you manage to be such a, a beacon of positivity on, on Twitter and things like that, as well as talking to you about things like creativity, um, about the way that we do schools now. And I just want to get so many of your opinions. I think you're going to be a fascinating person to talk to. So, so first of all, then... Um, Let's talk about um, uh, your your outlook on life. Um, you do your um, morning tweets, 
and you seem to really be quite stoic um, with the capital S um, in terms of your philosophy. Um, how do you stay motivated as a teacher? How do you stay content and happy? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, my morning tweets are actually uh, uh, kind of kind of what I do to do that. They're they're an expression of self discipline more than anything else. Um, I you know get up in the morning and I go, oh God, another day. I wonder who's going to call in sick today. I wonder what cover I'm going to have to sort out. Uh, who am I going to have to disappoint? All of that sort of thing. Um, and I think no, I've got to um, I've got to enjoy today. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to find a way to enjoy it. And you know what's the secret to that? And how am I going to do that? And then you know I, I remind myself that actually you know those things are just anxieties that I just want to you know try and push out of my head whatever they are they're fears they they're not real um and uh, so i'd try and make myself a bit of a plan remember how to enjoy life and that it is there to be enjoyed and there are small things there are big things and uh, and then i think right i'm going to think of three things they might even be the same things as yesterday or the day before and then you know i just put them down and send them out and then i go and have a glass of water and get dressed get in the car mm. And drive to work why do you do it on twitter so what's the benefit of doing it on twitter rather than say doing it inside a notebook um i don't know um just uh not there isn't particularly a benefit of doing it on twitter other than i suppose i'm it's a bit public um mm. so i've said what i'm going to do um and uh, i can look back on it i think um you know i <laughs> I think it's good to be positive um, in public because there's an awful lot of negativity around. Mm. Um, but I also think that uh, it's also good to be realistic. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I put in my reflections that, you know, well, I didn't do that very well um, because, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, that's important as well. Because there's an awful lot of people that only tweet, I think, uh, you know, in a specific way. And then mm. you never kind of see... Um, sort of, I don't know, the, the humanity of them. They become just a persona in a certain way. Although I suppose, I, you know, I wouldn't want to say that I'm not like that because, you know, there are things that I don't say mm. and things that I don't present on Twitter. Do you think that you've become more genuine yourself rather than a simulated self the longer you've been on Twitter? Because I, th I think I have over time. I've kind of dropped a lot of my guard and been more kind of brutally honest um, as I've gone along. Would you say the same has happened to you? Um, I think when I started, um, and not when I first joined Twitter because I didn't use it much, and then you know, I came, came back to it a few years later and still had the account. Um, but when I started sort of more seriously, um, I sort of viewed myself as quite a professional and I was going to engage very professionally. Me too. Um, and, and, and then, um, and then you know, as I've sort of got to know some people uh, a little bit and built some trust, yes, the guard comes down and you know, sort of show certain elements of the self that you wouldn't show or I thought I probably wouldn't. And then, you know, obviously in doing that, sometimes you think, actually, do you know what? I've put there, out there for everyone to see. I've probably, you know, actually, you know, I don't know, maybe shamed myself somewhat, you know, and you say things from time to time, you think, well, actually, that was a bit harsh or, you know, mm. that was below the belt or, or whatever. Or that sh that's, not a, that's not a public face. That's not appropriate. And uh, so I've probably then dialed it back a little bit. Um, I think it's important to think about 
um, what you're putting out there and why you're putting it out there. Mm. One of the reasons I started um, getting into it was I was thinking, you know, all the kids we teach are on de- various forms of social media, and and I wasn't really. And I thought, well, how can I, how can I understand what they're going through? How can I develop a, a good model of how to be in that space if I'm not trying it myself? And so I think it also that was a that was a place I was coming from was you know trying to think about those things. And I've got kids of my own, um, and you know uh, they're not on Twitter yet, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, what I put on there at some point they're going to read and uh, they're going to see who I am in a different way and so I've got to be uh, think about that I suppose yeah it's interesting isn't it because Twitter very much is um, you look back at yourself don't you it's very very invites you to reflect but I wonder how many people do see it as that uh, way to look at the self or whether they just whether it's more unilateral because for me I find that it's a wonderful sort of conversation partner is the way I look at Twitter it's almost like an encyclopedia I can talk to it's almost like this giant sort of hive mind um, and it's been really interesting because I didn't expect to meet the people I did and I didn't expect to learn the things I've learned and I've genuinely changed my mind or at least become more open-minded about certain things since joining Twitter. Um, I've had a lot of my things I thought were true challenged. Um, Sometimes I've kind of had to slink away with my tail between my legs going, Oh, I thought I was right about that. And And then I come back and I go, well, actually how else are you supposed to learn other than kind of being corrected, you know, or at least, having yourself challenged and it's painful to be challenged isn't it for some, for some reason it really seems to hurt doesn't it when you're wrong but i've come to believe that being wrong is one of the best things you can be do you agree i completely agree with that um mm. I, it isn't it isn't nice to be um uh, especially publicly mm. um challenged and shown up um mm. you know it's um and, and it's one of those things I think, you know, that sits in the classrooms we teach in all the time. And, you know, you try and make the classroom a safe space to be wrong because being wrong is so important. Mm. You know, being open to feedback is so important. Um, and, you know, but the other thing about Twitter is that, you know, you can you don't have to admit you're wrong straight away. You can, like, slink away, change your mind. You don't even have to tell anyone. Some people are really, really open about, actually, I got that wrong and uh, I'm going to be different. And they'll change their mind there and then. But, I, I, you know, I tend to go, you know, this is getting a bit, oh, no, I'm, I'm getting a bit anxious about this, angry about this. And I'm thinking, well, it's only Twitter. Um, let's not be angry, uh, but let's not respond whilst I'm feeling angry because I'll probably say something stupid. So uh, I tend to then just slink away a little bit and then think about it again and uh, and reframe it. And even sometimes just forget about it because, you know, it's only a conversation. doesn't matter. It'll probably affect me. I probably will change my mind, but I let that happen kind of like over time you know mm. your brain does a lot of work when you're when you're sleeping and uh, you know when you're when you're i don't know going for a run or whatever you might be doing and uh, you know you, you can sort it out without thinking directly about it i think i think so i think it's really tricky as well isn't it because i think we have a tendency as as human beings to read negativity into things when we can and i think you take away all of the paralinguistic features and you leave the raw text often tweeted quite quickly. You know, most people tweet on their phones, don't they, in between doing other things. And yet we see that 
sometimes well we will frame that text that 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 um that tweet won't we in our own way and it won't necessarily be anything like what that person meant yeah no i agree completely uh, it's like um as you know when you're when you're on twitter it's almost like there's um you, you assign a cartoon or a caricature to the person you're talking to. Mm. And, you know, you don't, I mean, you know, I've never met you. And so mm. I've no idea actually about how, you know, what your body language might be when you're saying, when there's a, a little glint in your eye and, and actually you don't mean it. And that's even worse on Twitter. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're, I think, you know, especially, uh, you know, if you're, if you're one of these people that is very literal, then you know if someone doesn't realize that when they're talking to you then then they can read all sorts of different things into that likewise if you're someone who's enormously figurative a, yes. a literal person will come across that and go what you know do you mean this and it's it's not what you meant you're not what you meant at all um and by the time you've real, both realized that you've blocked each other well yeah i see a lot of that and i see uh, you know i've i've I think teachers have a tremendous propensity for fighting with each other. And I've seen it's really been strange because I joined and a lot of battle lines and have already been drawn. A lot of trenches already been dug and a lot of people don't like a lot of other people, but they will like people who like that other person. And it's, it, it's so complicated, this kind of rabbit warren of, of likes and dislikes. And you gradually get a sense of, Oh, right. They don't talk to them and they don't like them and they block them because of that. But then that happened and then they're related to And it's, I, I, to be honest with you, I find it quite boring more than anything else. Like, I don't like soap operas. Um, and I don't like that either. I don't, I don't, cause you don't seem to get very involved in that sort of thing either. Yeah, I try to avoid it. I, and actually, I think um, in my first sort of couple of weeks of, of more serious tweeting, I saw an interesting conversation by someone who, you know, uh, said some things and and then suddenly they were challenged by someone and then challenged by someone else. And it all turned very nasty, very, very quickly. And I said something and a few people jumped on me, probably yeah. assuming I was on one side or the other. And and it was like, whoa, what's going on here? And then, you know, three months, four months later of, of like seeing how it all worked. And it was like, oh, I've actually just got into the middle of some deep lying dislike that two or three people have for each other. And and that there's a lot of other people sort of like like to jump in on it. And it reminded me of, you know, the, the stuff my daughter went through when she was in year seven with friendships. It was just sort of like, oh, did you know that she said this and he said that? Yes, but she did you just say that to my mate? And, <laughs> oh, my goodness it's it's crazy um and so you know as soon as i realized that that was what was going on i was thinking well as a teacher when i see that sort of thing going on i'm like right pull these kids away give them a bit of space from each other the more space you give them the more they have time to find someone that they've got something in common with and the more then forgiving they can be towards people they've got less in common with because they're not just pushed so close together and so you know it, i quickly reached the conclusion that maybe just give those people space let them exist um and uh you know sometimes try and you know read what they say make sense of it but not necessarily get involved in challenge if you think they're going to be all kind of feisty as soon as you challenge it's like why bother with that some people aren't looking um for data i'm just going to go to what carolina said she said i love being wrong and being challenged intelligently and patiently i think that patiently is sometimes what's what's lacking um i think there's lots and lots of people um ready to show their intelligence not all the people ready to be patient or, or open necessarily and, and it makes a lot of sense why people wouldn't you know it's a very 
insecure thing to to put yourself out there i think as well one of the things that i think it might be down to and you might not agree but i think a lot of it's about control i think the profession that we're all in um is very much something where most things are out of our control like and often we can feel completely unmoored and untethered um and i think that almost kind of grabbing onto our beliefs on twitter and kind of clinging onto them and pushing them forward is almost a way of us taking control over something because if i go back to stoicism it's all about making peace with what you can't control and doing your best at the things you can and i think that twitter is a way for people to kind of have a little bit of control a little bit of agency in a world where they really don't what do you think to that um i think i think it's a good point um it seems mostly right i i think um and uh, I'm probably going to show that I wasn't listening fully to you then because I, I, I had my mind full of another thought, which is one of the reasons patience doesn't work is because Twitter rewards when you, when you put something winning out there. And, mm. and, and that's often that opportunity to not just, you know, put something that, you know, totally ends the argument um, and often quite polemic, but will often maybe put the person down as well. And that's when it gets personal. And so, but, it, but Twitter rewards that. Because as mm. soon as you got the onlook saying, yes, the person who I think was most right has now said something that can't be, you know, can't be beaten. And so I'm going to like that. I'm going to retweet that and go, yeah, this, yeah, this. Mm. And it's, you know, it's like, it's like when you tell a kid off in a classroom and then another kid turns and goes, yeah, Ben. And, and it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and, you, and you've got to spend an extra five minutes calming everyone down. And it, and it accretes, doesn't it? As, as well, the more kids get involved and it's like, so yeah. And, and, and then it all goes around the classroom like some sort of mad bantery Mexican wave. Um, and is it? Yeah. And I will get away from Twitter in a moment. I'm, I'm, I've got like a really long list of things I want to talk about, but but already we're um, we're, we're forward, forging our own path. Um, I just want to briefly talk about Badger Ed. And I won't talk about Badger Ed for too much, but I just just in terms of the you talked about the people we meet on on Twitter. And it's really interesting because I've just gradually found myself just hanging around with badgers. And I don't really know how it's happened. Well, it's badgers or people who are badger adjacent. So we've got the wonderful uh, Lucy here, Chris Bells, for example, Elaine, um, Toby, you know, none of whom are badgers, but all very much seem to orbit that same section of Twitter. Um, what attracted you to Badger Ed and why do you identify with the emoji? Um I, I don't know. I, I was I was kind of there somewhere near the beginning um, mm. when 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 Steve made a random tweet tweet about uh, about stroking badges or not stroking badges, yes. and, and Tabitha was just taking the mick, and and so it became this sort of you know silly thing. And then I put hashtag Badger Ed, or and and Eugene said something, and and then before long it was just it just sort of spiraled into this. Uh, you know, let's talk about random things. And mm. and a lot of people that just disagreed with each other at a certain level, um, you know, found a lot of common ground on, on other levels. And, uh, uh, and you know, and, and it was, you know, it was quite nice. It was fun. Uh, it, it turned into something perhaps a little bit more um, mad when it was like, you know, we're, we're going to go and uh, hit this thread and just you know, start badgering there. And, and I think it is kind of was out of hand then if I'm thinking about it, you know, cause I think a few people were like, we're going, well, hold on a minute. You know, we, we would try and talk about this and then you've just hijacked our thread. And that was my and first was, encounter. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and I think uh, you know, and I think that's fair enough. I think that was a fair comment, and it doesn't seem to happen quite as much now. And and then, you know, then you know, people were saying, oh, it should be a DM group, and and that doesn't work because it's too many people and it's too diverse and mm. um, uh, an actual group of people. I mean, you know, there was a there was a, a, a small time when we had a short DM group uh, that a few of us were getting together. We're meeting at Bletchley Park, um, mm. and that happened, and then. And then, then we didn't talk to each other again. I think um, the group that met up at Research Ed formed a DM group for a while, and uh, then then a few people left that. And then someone said, "Well, we can still." And, and I got invited to that, so I've been chatting to a few badges more on a more regular basis through that. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it, <laughs> it's just a, a thing. It's not particularly that serious. So uh, it was quite funny when uh, when it all got sort of a bit kind of weird at the beginning of the year. But you know. It's good. It's fine. It's been a been a lovely experience over the last year overall. Well, that's why I bring it up because what I have found, with what I've come to associate with the badger emoji, is the idea that people who are really very very different um, can get on just fine. Um, there's lots of scraps and there's lots of madness and there's lots of silliness. But but what I quite like about it is the diversity and that things can pinwheel off at a moment's notice. Um, and I think that that I think at its heart, it's a wonderful thing, um, even though, as you say, you know, sometimes things have gone a bit far or, or whatever it is. But I think at its heart, I think it's almost got this the good side of anarchy, if you know what I mean. Everybody kind of pitching in. Um, that's why I bring it up, just just because um, I've gradually sort of found my own little Twitter home, not in a badger set, but in the woodland near it sort of thing, <laughs> perching from a nearby tree. And and I suppose the reason I bring it up is because it's it's my favourite part of Twitter, just, just sort of watching over the badgers from my falcon perch. It's been quite nice with a bat, to, with the edgy bat uh, next to me and whatever Lucy is. I think Lucy's a bat as well. Um, so um, I am a badger. Would you say? Well, I haven't got the emoji. I suppose I am in a strange way. I, I sometimes thought I hang around with badges. I don't have the emoji. And I just thought, what point do you kind of officially become a badger? I almost had this idea of like a, a ceremony with cloaks and uh, I had to drink some blood or something or there'd be a man with a badger hat on. I have no idea what's going on. Anyway, so let's just, um, what, what time are we on? Right. Let's just segue a bit then. I really want to ask you um, a little bit about what you said about um, creativity. You said you had a theory about creativity. Can we talk about that, please? Yeah. Um, so uh, a couple of nights ago, maybe it was last night. No, I think it was a couple of nights ago I fell asleep, um, which is a good thing. And um, I woke up and I just had this bizarre thought whilst I was asleep um, that um, uh, Ken Robinson was wrong. Uh, when he says schools kill creativity, but perhaps not for the reasons that a lot of people have said, or maybe it is, maybe I've misunderstood those reasons. Um, so uh, he was kind of right, but he was also wrong, because I think schools have killed creativity sometimes, um, but I think that's correlation, not causation. Because I think, and this is my theory, that what has killed creativity, or is killing creativity for our young people, is a lack of boredom. Okay. Um, so I think, uh, you know, boredom is the mother of invention, isn't it? And, uh, you know, as a kid, um, if I was bored, I, and that happened 
for it. It felt like it happened from time to time. Um, you know, I'd just be left to get on with it. Um, I think uh, society has become obsessed with keeping kids entertained. And that sort of like played itself out in schools in the edutainment area, which I think then leads to sort of like uh, Ken Robinson's observation of schools starting to kill creativity. Actually, it coincides. And so that's, you know, that sort of concept. And um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't give your kids attention uh, or you shouldn't play with your kids from time to time, but they should be able to occupy themselves. And the way we've come as a society to do that is give them a device. Mm. You know, even when I was a kid, to a certain extent, there was sticking in front of the telly. Um, but the telly wasn't always great because it was a bit more limited because it was like, if it's not showing the thing you want to watch, then you're going to turn that off and you're going to go, right, what should I do? And at that point, you've got to be creative, haven't you? So yes. um, uh, that's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, um, what did you do, Alex, when when you were bored as a kid? How did you? Oh, what were you? What do you do? Well, you keep yeah, away? it was interesting because I was I had a very very sheltered childhood. So my family was very very religious, um, Irish Catholic family, and uh, and I'm not religious at all um, anymore, partly because of the upbringing, um, and so we were really prohibited in terms of um, what we were allowed to watch on TV, like really, really heavily policed. Um, we did, and I didn't, and as a result, I kind of grew up really shy and, and awkward and I struggled making friends. Um, so I used to read loads. Um, I was quite limited in terms of what I was allowed to read at home, but I used to go to the school library. I read a lot of Terry Pratchett. I read a lot of fantasy. I just, and I just, I loved encyclopedias. Like I had, loads of encyclopedias at home like the Dorling Kingsley ones and I would just spend ages just reading my favorite bits I especially loved um the Romans section and the Tudor section I just was fascinated by history and the fact that people used to be different and I really wanted to know why we weren't like that anymore and what had changed and how it had changed and why people used to believe things so I used to read a lot I used to draw I don't so much do it so much all the time uh, anymore. I don't really have time, but I used to draw constantly. I just used to, if I could, if there was anything to draw and I would. Um, I taught myself how to play the guitar when I was, from when I was about sort of 11, 12. Um, and I've always really been into music. Um, I only really discovered kind of rock music when I was in my sort of early teens. Before that, I used to listen to quite a lot of classical music and stuff like that. And um, because that was all that was really allowed. But, I don't know. I, and I, I, I used to write. That's the other thing I used to do. I just used to write mad things, mad imaginative stories. I didn't think about plot. I just used to sort of spill it. I used to write poems and songs and all sorts of things. So I suppose I used to make stuff, I suppose, is my answer to your question. Yeah, I think well that's that's what that's kind of my point. I think a lot of um a lot of the things that we uh we occupy young people with these days are more consumer based and creative based. I think you know actually TikTok ironically, you know, you've got the has got some creative elements, but there's nothing sort of sustained in that. Mm. Um it's all and, ephemeral, um, isn't it? Yeah, and I think uh, whereas I mean I I think I'm, I'm not used to write. I, I I wrote um chapters and chapters of my book Tom the Dragon Slayer. Um, and uh, I, I wish I still had it. I don't have it anymore. I don't know where it went, but uh, I, you know I remember it. I loved it. 
And then I was a bit older. I used, I had uh, I wrote stories about um, Factor Man, who was basically some kind of alien sort of super powered person who was um, one of the last of his kind, uh, fighting against the evil black cats. No, no, that was fun. Amen. So I did a lot of writing. Um, I, play, I played with toy cars mm. and I played with marbles. And, but but it wasn't just playing with them. So the carpet had um, had this interesting pattern on it, and that became the circuit. And the dining room table was sort of like basically the centre of the circuit. And I pushed the cars round and, you know, do however many laps for a Grand Prix. And then I'd score the points. And all the cars had, you know, um, drivers who had names. And I'd have a book where I'd record everything, absolutely everything. I was a data nerd even then. And, and then it would be, you know, there'd be 15, 10 races, whatever it was in a championship. And then who's going to be champion this year? And then the whole weekend would be spent on my knees, crawling around the floor, playing with cars in this complete world of my own. That's superb. Uh, I love that. Totally created. And uh, I mean, the other thing, car journeys. What did you used to do on car journeys? I spy. Um, my mum used to... So... I loved I loved um, English and and all the humanities sort of things. Maths I was I didn't dislike maths. I was just lazy and it just didn't come to me as naturally. And I think I just found it really dull. I just I found it really repetitive. And I didn't have and what I now realise is is as a thirty four year old I'm now being assessed for ADHD. I just found I couldn't concentrate on on maths i just i just kept forgetting my memory just wouldn't hang on to the maths and uh, my teachers were like great at the other stuff why can't you do maths is there something wrong with you i was in a special class for maths and i just it wasn't that i couldn't do the maths i just couldn't remember what was i was supposed to remember so so my mum used to play musical times tables in the car like on a loop and it would be it was <laughs> professor playtime i'll never forget him Professor Playtime, and it was musical times tables on cassette. And sometimes she would play it at me for three hours. Like, say, if we were on our way to like Hun Stanton on holiday or something, which is where we used to go, um, she would literally go, Right, you don't know your times tables. I'm going to play this tape at you over and over again. It was like some form of water torture, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> it was horrible. So there was that. We used to play I Spy. We used to make up silly games. I used to, sitting in the back with my brothers, I used to make up stories. Um, um, I used to, and also um, we all shared a room. We had quite a small house. We had three of us shared a room. Um, before we'd go to sleep, because I'm the eldest, they'd say, "Alex, Alex, um, we tell us a story." And I used to make up stories on the spot. Sometimes lasting for hours, like these epic stories. Sometimes we'd have like a series, and it would be based on the um, the games we'd played, the toys we had the films we'd watched jesus was in there luke skywalker was in there like these mad stories and, and i suppose yeah again i suppose it comes down to to story i suppose my my spare time i suppose to give you a very long convoluted answer no well it was you know it was, that was a good answer i mean i was car journeys i used to i i was my inner data geek was coming out because i would have a book and i and then i would sit on the left hand uh, side behind my mum and uh, my, my sister would be in the middle and then my brother would be on the right behind my dad and um and the, it was always the journey um from from uh, buckinghamshire up to st Neots to see my nan um mm. uh, or, or to go to um visit my uncle and um and the whole of that journey you're going up the a1 
And whenever my dad overtake, overtook a car, it would be like that would be a tally mark. And, I know, you know, I know some people used to do colours and stuff. No, I knew mm. I knew yeah. all the cars. So that's a Mini, that's an Escort, that's a – you know, I had them all and I tallied them. And then every journey, it was then statistical analysis of uh, how this was changing and people weren't buying Cortinas anymore. They were all buying Escorts or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, was, and you know, I, I just – I was just – it kept me occupied. It was, it was fascinating. It was, but it was in in a way, it's completely mind numbing, you know, data crunching stuff. But I knew I had to pass the time, sit in the car, and behave myself. So mm. I found something to do that I enjoyed doing, and it was looking at the data and seeing the story and come back to the story mm. there that the data was telling me. Um, yeah, it's, that's what I mean. I, and I wonder if if kids are bored enough these days. And I also wonder whether. Um, actually uh, really having to sit down and attend to a lesson in a traditional style, um, which might look from on the surface as a boring lesson, um, actually might uh, be a seed, have a creative seed to it too. Right. Well, I've got some follow-ups and we're going to have a break, um, but um, I'll just give you something to think about. I'll ask you the questions now. We'll have our little break. And then when we come back, I'd like to ask you these two questions. So how can schools reinvigorate that sense of creativity? How can we make, associate schools with creativity? And do we need to look beyond the school? Do we perhaps need to move to an educational paradigm that either doesn't have schools anymore or education is... Um, much broader than just schools because just as a brief comment on that I feel like schools are becoming almost solely responsible for most of a child's development um, you know what about communities what about um, what about other aspects so I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on how how can schools reinvigorate creativity and what else can education be um, apart from schools um, so um, stay with us, Nick, and I'm going to play the news, etc. And we'll be back in about five minutes. Is that all right? Yeah, that's cool. Brilliant. All right. Don't go anywhere, everyone. See you soon. This is Alex um, at Curtain Sleep with the lovely Badger, um, Mr. Nick Wood. We're going to go to the news now. See you in a bit. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondleletterandsounds.org.uk 
Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, the Minister for Education and the Welsh Language, Jeremy Miles, has announced extra school sessions for learners. In a trial, over 1,800 learners will receive five hours of extra activity per week over a 10-week period. The Welsh Government has drawn on international models and proposals made by the Education Policy Institute and the trial is focused on supporting disadvantaged pupils and schools particularly affected during the pandemic. Jeremy Miles said, We know from research that young people can gain in confidence and well-being from this approach, especially disadvantaged learners. Programmes which provide enriching and stimulating additional sessions and support learners to re-engage with learning can have a greater impact on attainment than those that are solely academic in focus. The trial is a great opportunity to gather further evidence on how we use and structure time at school and how that might evolve in the future. We will be learning how those additional sessions might improve well-being, academic progression and increased social and cultural capital. As we move forward, we will continue to support schools with even stronger community engagement so that we deliver on our mission to tackle the impact of poverty on educational attainment and achieve high standards for all. In England, the government has announced 55 education cold spots that have been identified as part of the levelling up agenda. Areas such as Walsall and Rochdale, where education outcomes are weakest, will be targeted for support, with teachers offered a levelling up premium to improve retention. According to a report in The Independent, 
schools in the education investment areas, which are judged less than good by Ofsted in successive inspections, could be moved into multi-academy trusts under the plans. A government release states that education will be at the heart of the major new reforms, set to give every child and adult the skills they need to fulfil their potential, no matter where they live. As part of the White Paper plans, the Department for Education will offer retention payments to help schools keep the best teachers in the highest priority subjects. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, as we approach Safe Internet Day next week, it's the 8th of February, if you didn't know, I'm going to take a look at keeping yourself safe as a teacher. I'm not going to go into your digital footprint or how you use social media. That's been covered in your safeguarding training, no doubt, and should be common sense. There is, however, a real grey area when it comes to teachers and using their phones in school. Before a start, all schools should have a policy on mobile phones, and you should have read it. I suggest, if you're not sure what it is, then you find out. There is DFE guidance for searching, screening and confiscating for pupils, for staff, Policies in schools range from SLT having different rules to other staff so they can be contacted to phones must be switched off or on silence when pupils are present. Some are even introducing a smartwatch policy as they become increasingly more popular. The first step to keeping yourself safe is to make sure you know what is expected in your school as it's the individual schools that decide and there is no official guidance. The next step is a choice. Images, still or moving, are a great way to evidence work and to feedback to pupils. If your policy allows it, using your phone is the simplest way as it's always with you. To give a real example, a PE teacher at a match doesn't need to remember to take the school camera and probably has a better camera on their phone anyway. But here's the dilemma. Should teachers have pictures of children on their personal phones? Again, school policy will dictate this and parents will have signed a form saying they give permission or not, so you're covered to take the picture. But the question still stands, should it be done on a personal device? This is where I feel the need to keep ourselves safe lies. How long do you keep the images on your phone? Are they automatically backed up into your personal cloud? How do you transfer from your device to the school storage? What if your phone's lost or stolen? I'm not here to provide an answer. I just want you to think about keeping yourself safe. If you take images on a school device, you avoid all of these issues. It may be a little more effort, but in the rare event of an allegation, it's a lot simpler to investigate. Please think about your use of personal devices in school. And if your policy isn't keeping up with what you're doing, consider raising it. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, I am returned, and I am joined by Mr. Nick Wood, Head Badger. It's not Head Badger, I just keep saying that. Um, Fashion teacher, Nick Wood. Um, hi, Nick. You there? Yeah, I'm still here. And um, we're talking creativity. Um, originally, I was going to talk about love, but this is much more interesting. And what is love, <laughs> if not a form of creativity that you just direct at someone you're obsessed with? So um, what do you reckon then? Um, how can schools reinvigorate creativity then? How can we make schools feel like a place we go to be creative? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I guess um, based on my new theory, I have to say we need more boredom in schools. 
Um, and uh, I was thinking, well, what does that look like? Uh, and then I was thinking, well, actually, I, I know certainly know in, in a number of secondary schools, uh, there are teachers out there saying that, you know, as much as they don't want to stay any longer and have a longer school day, um, perhaps uh, more time at lunch um, is not as bad as everyone thinks. But I'm guessing that that's very context dependent as to how manageable that is and how that gets supervised and what the culture in the school is like. Um, but uh, that sort of um, more space and time um, for uh, children to, uh, you know, use the tools that they've been picking up either in school or outside of school in their education in a creative way, um, I think needs to be um, uh, needs to be considered. And I suppose that has an impact on, uh, I don't know, curriculum uh, content. Uh, which links then to the you know the the latest leveling up stuff from uh, from Mr Gove he said about um, you know ninety percent of children at um, age related expectations and if the curriculum's the profession uh, the progression model surely um it's nothing to do with age and expectation it's just about making your way through that curriculum isn't it um, mm. and we have to be I think we have to be really clear about what we what we want in. Uh, our curriculum, um, either in a school or uh, I think perhaps even uh, a, a more shared idea nationally of what should be there and what shouldn't be there. Um, because one of the things that's in the way here is technology. Um, and, you know, uh, I think the progress is driven by technology and then technology um, uh, is needed to keep up with progress. And the the you know, big tech companies are always producing the next thing and the next thing. And then there's always someone trying to create another app that does this. Or, and um, we're so busy trying to stay at the forefront of it. Um, we're not really looking at it, I think, alongside the direction we're going with a, a sort of this progress without a socially agreed terms. Okay. Um, and so that, that creates a lot of gaps. And in the space in those gaps between agreement and disagreement, um, that just that just allows for a lack of creativity and exploitation and corruption. There you go. Can't, well, that's no, a lot. That's a really, really interesting. And it's reminded me of a, um, a saying, um, who said it is disputed. Uh, I think some of it came from Churchill and a few other places. But it's, um, first we make our tools, thereafter our tools shape us. And I think... We're in that second part, aren't we, at the moment? You're talking about how we are being shaped by these tools, by, by technology. It seems as though sometimes the tech is in control and we're not. Would you agree? Uh, no, absolutely. That is, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, you know, we, we all play our small little parts in it, but then it takes on a life its own like a... Um, you know, like a flock of birds, suddenly it moves in a direction because that, that's the direction it's all gone and, uh, and, and, and we all go with it. And, uh, and we almost don't have a choice because we find ourselves isolated from that flock if we, if we keep going in our own direction. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of like um, meta planning of where we're going and social direction, uh, I don't, that's not something I think um, we do well as a, as a species. Hmm. Well, where do you think we should be going? Like, what do you think? Why do you think creativity is important? Should we be basing our schooling around creativity? Is that like your central philosophy? No, I don't think we should be basing it around it. I think creativity goes hand in hand um, with um, an understanding of um, 
uh, how you're being creative with form um, and with what already exists and the way in which we uh, communicate because uh, something creative could be totally personal and that's when you're in that world of your own and that's fine um, but creativity in the sense that you know it's of a societal benefit um, needs to be something that um, can be appreciated by others and so it must have a um, you know, to appreciate something, there has to be a sense of what the form might be, even if it's a slightly, um, you know, breaking that form, because um, you, you know, you've got to have something to measure it by. So you've got to have that element of traditionalism, of knowledge, of what has gone before, hmm. in order for something novel and creative and useful to be seen as a, a good thing. I think. So. Broadly speaking, and I'm not trying to tie you down to like a manifesto, um, like Nick founds his own school sort of thing. Um, but I'm just trying. So, so you think there should definitely be an element of kind of so the knowledge rich stuff we're doing, you know, um, with our kind of what we'd call the trads sort of thing. There's definitely a place for that, right? No, I think it, I think um, I think there's a there's a lifeblood, there's a core to the curriculum that. Um, you know, that knowledge rich, um, you know, serves well when you talk about, you know, progression of knowledge, schema building and those sorts of things is really, really essential. But then when you start to think about the creative uses of those, I think um, the opportunities to be creative along that journey are important. So you can't just say, wait till you've got all the knowledge and then go and be creative um, because that's just, no, oh, I don't know, that's nonsense because there's so much joy in creativity and why shouldn't uh, a person aged 8 or 10 or 12 or 14 experience that joy? You know, you, kids have got to have a chance to learn to be good at being kids, not mm -hmm. just prepared to be adults. Um, also, and, you know, that's that's really important we also i would say would you say that creativity is analogous with play like you um, talked about playing in your lounge and all that sort of thing you know would you say that uh, play is a form of creativity or an act of creativity because i would i think i think it can be um i'm i'm i think uh that's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like to play um, in a number of ways. I like to play with numbers um, and see what the impact, you know, I, I'm an Excel nerd. So, you know, uh, I go, well, if, what happens if I change that number there? How does that change all the numbers along the line? And, and what is the effect of that? Hmm. Um and you know, and then in doing that, I can sort of. That's. I mean, it's one of the one of the things I play around with when I'm doing the timetable. It's like, well, hold on a minute. If I move that to there, how does that knock everything else around? And mm. and that's that's playing around with them, um, uh, you know, logistics. Um, so there's different sort of, um, you know, play is a form of experimentation. So it links to science as well, doesn't it? Um, mm. So I think play, 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 and creativity do have that that essential link. Um, but they're also, I think. They're, they're linked to that curiosity mm. um, that is natural and innate in us. Um, and that's, um, that's what we, we've got to allow that expression of curiosity. And, and that can be fostered um, in a classroom, in a knowledge-rich classroom as well. It's like, mm. you know, always having that opportunity. And that's through cultural norms. It's like, well, what, what does that mean? 
And does this mean that? And encouraging children to ask questions, but about the material, um, that's, you know, that, that's still allowing that sense of let's play with this. Let's, let's move this word to here. Let's move that number to there. What will happen now? Um, and there's plenty of room to play with that. But while sticking to, um, you know, uh, uh, if you like a planned curriculum and, and certain, you know, elements of knowledge that they're going to, that children uh, arguably need or that society can decide are the most important things to, uh, to include. You suppose, do you know, I, I find myself broadly in agreement with you because I think that I would say that there's a lot of um, play, you know, a lot of intellectual play in my classroom because what tends to happen, so I'll give you, so my year eight, last year, tier eight, sorry, last two year eight lessons, I'd have them twice a week and I teach them writing. Um, but in the last two lessons, I've also, we've also talked about the nature of reality the difference between concrete and abstract. We've talked about psychology. We talked about the Plantagenets briefly for reasons I can't remember. You know, we've talked about history. We talked about the idea of psychogeography and um, and how we associate emotions with place, the nature of nostalgia, and all of these things and all of these concepts kind of funneled through and got distilled into, synthesized into how I was teaching them to think and be as writers. And I think that's so important. But the problem I've got is when there's a scheme of learning, a scheme of work to follow, you know, and it's like, oh, you need to have this learning objective in this lesson. You need to get to this assessment at this point. I find I'm constantly got this tension between where the learning seems to want to go and where I have to go. Does that make sense? Oh no, it, it does. There's always that tension, you know. I, I, you know, whether I think in any subject you've got that, um, that that sort of tension. I think, um, I think some subjects um, manage it uh, better than others because they they have a sort of like a cycle. Like uh, when in teaching art, there's a bit of a cycle to um, uh, to you know uh, the the artistic process. Um, mm. And whereas in, in, in maths, you know, you've got, you got so much content that you're building on previous content. And what you want to build is an understanding of a very specific thing. Um, and then you draw attention to what it is. Then you play with it. Then you sing out links with all the other things that you've learned in maths. Um, and you play with it until you're so fluent with it that then you can then play with it. You know, so you practice the fluency and then play with it once you're fluent to see what it does. If you try to play with it before you're fluent, um, you don't see what it does because you've made so many mistakes. You don't the, the the pattern's not there to notice, and and that's the trick. And and in maths with the curriculum, the danger always is that you teach the thing, they practice it to fluency, but they then they don't get to play with it if you don't make that space because of the next thing in the curriculum you're trying to teach and uh, and that is an all that's always attention i think and i think it's so hard i think this is one of my real problems with curriculum design and something that i've really struggled with whenever i get asked to make a scheme of work i find them so hard to make because i just don't think like that um i don't i find it really hard to to map it all out i know where i'm going i know the texts i know what the exams look like but how I get there tends to be largely generative. I'll always hit the stuff. But recently I found that uh, my school wants to be more and more prescriptive. And I really don't like it because what I've done, what I've always done is kind of just 
gone with it. But that doesn't seem to really wash anymore. Um, but I imagine, because um, you've run a department, haven't you? Do you run a department at the moment? Um, no, um, no, I don't run a department at the moment. So I, I, I lead on curriculum. So I sort of like, yeah. uh, you know, just talk to the various people that are running departments and go, how's your department going? Have you thought about this? And uh, what, what, you know, what's in the way of you running a department as well as you can? And then, no, you can't have that. We haven't got the money, the space or whatever. It's that sort of, mm. you know, it's a, it's a kind of managerial role. Sometimes it's a coaching role where, um, and then sometimes it's a learning role where I'm learning about how that subject works and how it's different to the subjects that I know better. How, in terms of curriculum then, in terms of the school's curriculum offer, should every teacher be teaching the curriculum in exactly the same way or as close to exactly the same way? Or should teachers be more free to be interpretive with the broad idea of what the curriculum is? And should, as a second question, should curriculum, um, should the curriculum be very much exacting or should it be these are the general things we're doing, do what you will? What, what's your preferred version? Um, well, I, when I ran a department, um, I, I very much said, look, these are the objectives, um, you know, get there. Um, and, um, and, and, and I think I wasn't particularly good department head in, in that I think there were times when, um, non-specialists need an awful lot more guidance than I was mm. giving them. Um, and since, uh, the, you know, the, the head of department now that we have, um, who used to be, um, my TA in year six and, mm. um, and she's absolutely brilliant and uh, and you know, she's created this system whereby um we have booklets and we have a uh, we have a uh, in the booklets you've got all the worksheets you might need but you don't have to use them all it's got some um, sort of understanding the concept fluency of the concept and then practice sessions and and uh, challenge sections within the concept so that you know there's elements of scaffolding differentiation children can then go i don't really get this i need more fluency or i kind of get this let's try it out and so they can do that almost at their own pace through it but the other thing that's brilliant about it is all linked in with a scheme of work from white rose where there are videos and so if a maths teacher is not in a non-specialist can just come in show the video and the kids are so well drilled with the routine of it they just watch the video do the relevant questions and then guide their own way through it and all the teacher has to do is go well here's the answers to this bit here's the answer to this bit note down any questions you have for the teacher next time they're in and uh, it's, it's just uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece of work and it's so straightforward um, that um, you know when people didn't used to like to cover maths, people, you know, people go, well, are you give me a cover. Is it maths? Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's to totally changed because it's got that sort of prescriptive element um, and it's got a formula to it. Now, I mean, uh, if, um, if I went into a maths lesson and they weren't using it, that wouldn't bother me too much um, if I can see what's going on. I think, you know, a maths teacher, we've all got a license to go, do you know, in this lesson, we're not using the booklets. I just want to show you this and draw them from your own experience, we can do that, absolutely. But um, the knowledge that the booklets are there and the experience of the booklets are really, really important. And they've been really important during COVID. Um, so I had a couple of kids come back from being off um, for a couple of lessons or whatever. 
And uh, they've just missed the lesson before where we've gone through the concept before. So you have a bit of a catch up. But then you say to them, all right, instead of doing the homework this week, go back and watch the video and fill out your booklet and then come back and ask me any questions. And then they can they can catch up on that missing step. And it's all there for them online. They can watch the video as many times as they like themselves, come back with their questions. And it also puts them in control. Mm. Um, which is massively powerful. That's the thing I value the most, I think, is that is that the kids feel it's theirs. It's their education. You know, yeah, I'm putting these things on a plate saying you kind of need to learn these things, but, you know, as you come up against things you don't understand, ask me questions and, uh, you know, I'll help you find out the answers. So, because that's another form of creativity, isn't it? If we think about uh, students needing to go off and work out the solutions for themselves, that's quite generative. Do you think that we've got a lot of work to do as a society in terms of making students more independent? Do you buy into this rhetoric that the modern student is passive and wants to have information sort of shoveled into them by a teacher? Or do you think there's more to them than that? Oh, I don't think anyone um, you know, wants to have information shoveled into them. And I think that's one of the uh, uh, one, one of the biggest battles that schools will always have um, because um, – uh, you know, uh, you know. I think I, I said in a tweet, uh, in reply to a tweet about love, was that teaching is an act of love, um, but I think schooling's uh, quite often an act of social convenience. Mm. Um, and so, as such, you know, you're always going to have kids that are there because they've been told to be there, and you know, that 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 means that's a winning hearts and minds thing to turn those things around into. Yeah, you are here because you've been told to be here, but you know, how are you going to make the most of it? You know, you can use stoicism to try and see if you can get them to believe in that as a philosophy, or you can give them certain elements of control and and uh, and pass that. You know, show them how they can take control, yeah. um, even within the restrictions of you've got to go to school. And I think. One of the things that kind of bothers me um, in regards to school is social convenience is sometimes I feel like there's a lot of a focus on students as future employees. And I've spoken about this before, and maybe it's just because I see a lot of stuff to do with careers. And obviously, there's going to be some importance there. But whenever I ask a student, oh, what's the purpose of education? Why are you at school? They say, oh, to get qualifications. And I say, well, why, why are the qualifications important? They say, oh, so I can get a good job. And there's very rarely a focus. I mean, maybe I'm asking the wrong kids, but there's very rarely a focus on I'm here because we are curious beings. I'm here to be creative. I'm here to learn for the sheer joy of learning. I'm here to get cleverer. I'm here so I can pass on knowledge or whatever. Have you found that the general mindset of students is that they are being set up for the world of work? Um, I think um, I think that can be the case. Um, I think uh, you know whether whether that's the general mindset because I mean I think um, a lot of parents probably feel that um, that's what schools should be doing for them. Um, I think um, I think some school teachers believe that that's what they should be doing for their pupils, and you know, and I think secondary teachers are going to feel that way when they they you know they know kind of like the bit that they can control is uh, you know this certificate that I can get for you at the end that will open doors for you. So you know you kind of get pushed into that opening doors, which then those doors are pathways quite often to jobs, aren't they? Because you know at some point. You're going to take responsibility for entirely for yourself, and uh, and you're going to need that. 
you're going to need to pay your own way. You want to put a roof on your head and, and all those sorts of things. And, um, and society is going to say, well, you know, how are you helping us? What can you do for us as well as what can we do for you? Um, so I think you're going to have that. But we always get that mix, I think, of kids. You get kids that come to school because that's where their mates are. And they come to school to be with their mates. And then you get kids that come to school because they want to be the best son or daughter they can be and work as hard as they can. Um, and you get kids that come to school um, just because, you know, well, they've got to go to school and, you know, they're a kid. And they're, in their, they're often in their own worlds. And uh, every now and then they'll look up and see what the world's doing around them. Mm. So um, I appreciate you probably have to go um, quite soon. Um, but before yeah, we go kids, to our, kids will be going to bed in a minute, so uh... <laughs> sure. Well, just before we go to our second ad break, I'd just like to ask you one final quick question. That's all right. Um, yeah. Why do you think teaching is an act of love? Um, I think um, it's very much a personal point of view, um, and uh, it's um, how I feel about it. So um, I got into teaching uh, as the result of a thought experiment and uh, uh, not too different to what Mark Enser tweeted the other day. Um, I, you know, I sat down as a, as a banker in London and thought, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And, um, and I also thought um, uh, that, you know, actually why I was doing it was I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a good catch so that I could get married and have kids because actually that was, that was the game for me. It was always about having a family and kind of being my dad, actually, you know, just wanted to right. perpetuate that. Right. And, um, and then, you know, I got to nearly 30 and I was living in London and I was getting a bit kind of like fed up with the crowds and, and the anxiety. And I was turning into one of those people in London that on the tube that just elbows a granny out of the way to be the last person in the door, you know. And I didn't like who I was becoming as a result. Um, and, um, and I thought, well, what if, what if I don't meet? you know, my, my ideal partner, what, what, what then, you know, I spend my entire life, you know, looking for something that's not actually going to happen. I need a plan B. Um, and, uh, and then it was like, right, let's assume I've had all the money in the world. I've, and you know, I thought about all the things I like doing. I've been to all the countries there are, I've, uh, owned all the cars there are. I've got an lovely big house, maybe more than one. I've had everything done, everything. I've experienced the universe. Um, now what am I going to do? And that was the thought experiment. And it was that. It was like, well, actually, I'm going to teach. That's what I want to do. I want to, I want to pass on the things I know, the, the, you know, the things I've learned, the things I think are important. Um, because obviously, you know, this was on the basis of I'm not having a family. So it was like, okay, what I'm going to do, I was, I'm going to be my favorite sort of like primary school teacher. I'm going to be the head teacher of a small primary school somewhere in a village. I'll probably have a dog. Everyone will know me. Everyone will know where I live. And, and, and I'll be this great person. It was just, you know, it was, it was just a, a goal, um, that, that gave me a new direction really. And that's why I got into teaching. And that was very much a case of an act of love in that it's passing on me, um, and the things that I think are important, um, and as a gift. And that's the other reason is because teaching's a gift, you know, the gift of the, of the knowledge you have and your understanding to another person. And, you know, what is giving if it isn't an act of love? 
Well, Nick, as typically, um, very, very eloquently put, and it's a wonderful way, I think, for you to sign off your time on the show. I'd just like to thank you, and I think on behalf of everyone listening as well, uh, for being such a wonderful guest. Um, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of some of the things I wanted to ask you, but I think one thing I really have loved about talking to you is just how um, human and gentle and insightful you are. So thank you for being a fantastic guest, and I hope you have a lovely evening um, and a lovely rest of the week. Well, thanks for having me on, Alex. It's been amazing and what lovely words. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Okay, everybody, we're going to go to a really quick um, break, uh, just a really quick ad break, um, and then I'm just going to wrap up a few bits and pieces um, and we'll get some comments going um, about creativity in the chat and about how we can um, create um, a community of creativity um, for the world of tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. Back in a minute. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Okay, I'm back for the final segment of the show. Um, thank you again to Nick 
Uh, great fun to talk to Nick. I'll have to have him back on again to ask him the other million questions I didn't get to ask him. Um, but I want to talk a bit more about creativity. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about creativity and about how we think. And recently, I've been thinking a lot about analogy. And I'm going to put to you guys in the chat now um, and anyone else in the future who happens to be listening, um, unbeknownst to me. Um, I, I think that teaching is really about shared analogies if i'm going to define teaching it's when i go hey guys here i'm about to tell you a thing that you don't know i'm going to teach you about a thing that you don't know about but it's going to be a bit like a thing that you do know about except it's like this and that is the is the shared making of analogies and I've become really obsessed with um, analogies and how we create analogies and how we create meaning. I've started um, reading a bit of um, Douglas um, Hofstadter who said that um, analogy is the core of um, cognition and I really recommend um, watching his lecture as a lecture I think from 2007 he gave at oh, I think it was Stanford um, but he talks a lot um, about how analogies are basically the centre um, of everything um, that we do. Um, analogies, he says, are things that basically they just happen, they just do, but they are the centre um, of how we think and how we make, um, how we make meaning um, through the world. And the way that we do that, basically, is we draw links between between things constantly. Um, everything comes down to concepts, basically. Um, and one thing I've started doing recently, you know, engaging the sense of creative play um, with my classes is I've been getting them to think about whether things are concrete or whether things are abstract. And it's kind of blown their minds a little bit, really. So with my year nines today, we were looking at a poem. Um, and it was a poem about a, a young boy who remembers coming home with muddy trousers. And his mother, because he's run through a park, and his mother has a go at him and she calls him a rebellious child and a lying child. And he can't understand because he says, well, I just ran through the park because I did, because my mates were there and it was fun. And for him, the mud represents the concept of fun, of freedom, of togetherness, of that brotherhood of friends and of youth. But they, but, but the mud does not represent any of those things, is not analogous to any of those things for his mother. For his mother, the mud is analogous with being unkempt, unpresentable, immature, inconvenient, messy, sloppy, slovenly, irresponsible. And the poem therefore uses this idea of mud and the very different analogies that come from it to show the, the clash, um, the clash between um, these two generations and the impossibility of um, the speaker communicating with his mother's brother. But in, all, in order to, do, to understand that, they needed to understand that the poem starts off 
in the physical concrete world. It starts off with this idea of mud that not only can the characters in the poem relate to, but also so can we. We all know what mud is. We know what it smells like. We know what it's associated with. But then the poem challenges us to think about what meanings we make analogically with that concrete thing. And this seems to be at the heart of um, of how we teach really when we teach well because what we do is we start off with something to make an analogy we start off with something concrete something recognizable something we can get in front of us and measure and we say um you know it's like this this is um this is how it compares and i know that um science is full of analogies um there's loads like schrodinger's cat um maxwell's demon for example, um, you know, there's, and they're in philosophy as well, for example, Paley's watch, um, for example, um, you know, they are used constantly as teaching tools, as, um, as tools of demonstration. You know, there are so many. Um, and I think that analogy seems to be the way that we can um, engender that uh, creative thought. You know, and when you get into the, um, the realm of physics, for example, we can't help but talk um, analogically because, you know, what else are we going to do? Um, how else are we going to talk about these abstract things? Um, just going to go into the chat. Um, so Chris Val says, um, Emily Dickinson was the ultimate analogy teacher. Everything she writes is an attempt to render an abstract concrete. And I would extend that to poetry in general a lot of the time. Um, but yes, absolutely. Uh, grief is the thing with feathers. I'm actually just going to find that poem really, really quickly. Just just, just to have a look at it. Um, just because that immediately... Um, stands out to me as as an example of of what Chris is talking about. Grief is the thing with no, sorry, not grief is the thing with it. Hope is the thing with feathers. Grief is the thing with feathers is the uh, um, appositely named novel, well, the oppositely named novel by uh, Max Porter, which I would really recommend. Hope is the thing with feathers goes like this. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all and sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm i've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea and never yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me and absolutely we can see can't we um just how it relies on that concrete um idea of that bird and it makes it immediately in that first line analogous with hope. And then the rest of the poem is that shared analogy making. And I say shared because poetry is the sharing of analogy with the reader. Um, I'm reminded of Audre Lorde, um, who said that writing and teaching and um, what's the other thing? She's writing and teaching and poetry. They're all the same thing. Um, we do the same thing, you know, writing is an act of teaching, teaching is an act of teaching. And it all comes down to that shared analogy making where you give the whole of yourself across to that lesson in an attempt to forge um, understanding. I'm just going to go. Um, so we have just going up. So Maddie says, 
Um, but gamification is far different from creativity. It's certainly a part of creativity, but not all of it. Yeah, um, it has its place, doesn't it? But I suppose gamification is about trying to make something fun or seem creative. Whereas when we're talking about creativity, we are, well, I think that creativity is all about connections. So that's why I like the idea of analogies. But creativity is all about creating, uh, connecting things that we already have, but in ways that we haven't connected them before. Um, you know, that's what we find. If we look at um, inventions, if we look at things that are innovative, they're not actually new. They're just old things connected in new and exciting ways. Um, I'll go to uh, Toby. Um, Toby is fantastic on the subject of creativity. He's a true polymath, true true Renaissance man. Um, my definition of creativity is the ability to connect disparate concepts, to bridge the gap between discrete subjects slash areas of expertise. Yes, Toby, uh, honestly, that's put better what I've been trying to say, actually, yeah. Um, I, I completely agree. It's all about making meaning through connection. And it's um, and it's like what Nick said about schemas and about building up that gradual web of understanding in the head. Polymathy, important for creativity, the art of science and the science of art, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's very little I don't want to learn about anymore, to be honest with you, because it's going to because uh, I think it will help me in some sort of way. Um, Creativity is all about connections. That's why the siloization of subjects at school for too long is problematic. Well, one of the things I was going to ask Nick about, funnily enough, was about is the siloization of of subjects problematic? Um, wh at what point then, Toby, should we stop siloing the subjects? Should we be thinking more in terms of projects? Um, how could we make that work? So I'd love to know what people think about subjects. Um, should we be making more connections between the subjects or actually um, getting rid of the boundaries altogether? The artistic version of intelligence. I really like that, um, Carolina, actually. Toby's calling in. He can't be stopped. He wants to be on the radio twice. No, Toby, gone. Gone. He's gone. Toby, call in. I'd love to hear from you. We're always on each other's shows, aren't we, Toby? I've just missed him. Toby, please do call back in. I'd love for you to um, to to briefly explain um, your ideas about uh, the siloization of the curriculum. I really would. So please do call in because you've left me on tenterhooks. Um, but yes, the artistic version of intelligence. Um, and perhaps it comes back as well. You know, creativity is a big part of creativity is the willingness to be wrong actually because being creative involves experimentation involves taking a punt you won't know whether the connections you've made are good or worthwhile or not until you have uh, taken the risk oh joe it's lovely to see you again do not worry at all you're lucky we record these things just for you well and for literally everybody else but especially for you joe um oh no tech um well toby if you can manage it in the next couple of minutes um i'd love to squeeze you into the last sort of eight minutes of the show um creativity recurs occurs when there are boundaries we cannot be creative under no restrictions do you know i think that's a really good point maddie um and creativity is we kind of we fight against those uh barriers don't we we fight against those My restrictions name. yes toby now, I haven't got headphones in, so I might go distorted. No, you're fine. You sound as um, as sonorous as ever. 
Oh, lovely. Um, now, I've forgotten what <laughs> I wanted to say, but I just... Uh, about know, the siloization. Oh, the siloization stuff. Yeah, that's what yeah. I wanted to just say. Please do. I, I, I think... It, I think you're, you're, you're kind of right, and Nick's probable answer, that you kind of do need to learn stuff in its separate domains to begin right. with, you know, and because, because the, way, uh, the way a mathematician thinks about something is quite different to the way a creative writer or a historian or, or a scientist thinks about something. So you do need to learn the, the, the rudiments, if you like, of those subjects. But the problem I have with the siloization is that subjects become things that they're not really you know like geography and science for example you know hugely overlap but then in school curricula words for certain things in geography are slightly different to the same thing in science because right. because it's just to make it testable you know the problem is we, we we've it's the problem is not the siloization it's the making those subjects testable too early um you know because really science at a deep level maths at a deep level or geology at a deep level is bloody complicated and 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 wonderful but it's not for everybody and it's not accessible to everybody but yet we decide to go and test everybody in this stuff and assess everybody and go well this is where you're at in geography at the moment and you're on target for a great you know and I just I think that's so it's not really you know these subjects are separate entities and are beautiful and then, you know, your Leonardo's and your polymaths can join it all together and be wonderfully creative with it. But, you know, I, I just think sometimes it's frustrating that you've got down different corridors at a school, you've got sort of different people teaching pretty much the same stuff, um, maybe in completely different terms or completely yeah. different year groups. Uh, I teach a huge chunk of history, like in English. Yeah. Like I teach so much history. I teach, um, well, I was saying earlier to Nick, uh, my last two year eight lessons, I've talked about psychiatry, sociology, um, psychology, medieval history, um, the nature of reality. I talked briefly and very yeah. badly about physics. Um, you know. Uh, and that's it, why that's why I envy English teachers so much because you you have so much freedom to to explore an idea or a piece of writing from so sure. many perspectives and 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 it's wonderful and and history teachers to some extent have that freedom as well because mm. they teach quite a lot of science and history of science and so forth but we don't have that freedom in science at school because there's so much stuff there's so much fundamental principles and testable knowledge to get through um and so we can't we can't look at science in the science curriculum at school through an english lens or a history lens or an art lens because there's i hate that word lens i can't believe i've just used it um anyway but, yeah anyway I, I i probably should not hijack the end of your show anymore no, 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 I have don't to, worry because i've got to get I, ready I, for my I'm own now <laughs> so so it's actually been really helpful um, because I was just about to keep rambling very sleepily on about stuff I taught, but but uh, no, I think I think um, so. It's about when do we dismantle those barriers? You know, if we're thinking, you know, like you know, Toby's edu utopia, when <laughs> do we dismantle it? And while you're thinking about that, let me just see what the very wise and lovely Elaine says. Knowledge that you think you can pin down and seal off is actually messy. It refuses boundaries and connects yeah. endlessly to other things. Doesn't she have a wonderful knack for clarity? That's and brilliant. Consistency That's great. Here, Elaine? She's spot on, isn't she? Yeah. So the woman can't be wrong. No. I it's think possible. that 
Yeah. Oh God, I was going to. What was going to say? Sorry, want, Toby. Elaine. Of, Elaine was being wise. She was being wise. Yes. And I'm not. I'm not <laughs> feeling. I'm feeling a bit sleepy this evening. I don't know how I'm going to get through my show with Ed later on. We'll we'll wake each other up though. Anyway, but okay. um, uh, oh, it was just. I think the the thing is the probably the way to do it is you do need to have these separate subjects in our current school model. Sure. Although you know we do fixate a little bit on people's knowledge in maths and and geography and we don't probably fixate enough on their knowledge of sort of philosophy or or what what you know your feelings and 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 you know those sort of things um but anyway that's a whole separate conversation um but i think we probably need to make more effort to connect them you know one of one of the big things that people moan about some teach secondary teachers moan about is when the schools are criticized for not teaching about climate change or climate crisis and of course there's elements of climate change, climate, energy resources in the biology curriculum, in the chemistry curriculum, in the physics curriculum, in the geography curriculum, and, and to some extent with the Industrial Revolution and the history curriculum as well. Yeah. So, so, but what happens is they're often taught at different times by very different people um, who have very limited knowledge in those other fields and and it's not connected so you probably need to have theme days really and and i know a lot of teachers hate theme days because they don't like creativity um but they, they just like their subject and their silo um but i think that you probably just need a focus day once every half term or something like that to glue those things together and 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 give the children a chance to sort of play with their very very limited knowledge in all those different domains i suppose and and so that there's at least the opportunity to be creative and to try and connect them you know whether it's designing a city of the future or something like that you know like a day where you just have get people together get some architects in get some creative thinkers in and just run a kind of workshop where you get where you play and think what what does a city of the future need what could a city of the future look like and and what what will make people happy and the world happy and anyway i'm going to stop talking because i think we're going to overrun alex and i've got to go so um, well, that's how we roll isn't it toby me and you that is that is, that is how we roll um you get us oh, going i did love, I did love your show though i thought nick was brilliant and so i'm gonna i'm gonna say bye bye thank you for letting me call in of course toby um, you're always welcome at uh shake <laughs> and sleep um and i think i've gate crashed your show twice now so uh, oh, yeah i like I've been, you, you place. So I've been on ollie's as well yeah you're a good man take care thank Alex. you thank, thank you. you take care toby thank you it's a pleasure bye 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 okay and with uh, and with the dulcet tones of our resident Ejub Edubat as he flies back up to the out of his um, eaves of his cathedral, um, I'm going to bid everybody goodbye. So we've been talking about creativity, the nature of creativity. We've solved nothing, but that wasn't really the point here. Um, and I'll leave you um, with this idea. Um, I think creativity comes from having an open mind asking loads of questions and listening really carefully. And I think if we start there, and I think Nick is a wonderful example of this, um, we can we can really start going places. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure once again to sit here and you guys have woken me up and invigorated me. Have a beautiful rest of the night, a wonderful rest of the week. This is Alex on Teachers Talk Radio. Good night. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time. 
on Teachers Talk Radio.